Hello and welcome to Mythmakers. Mythmakers is the podcast for fantasy fans and fantasy creatives, brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. My name is Julia Golding and I'm director of the centre. And today I have a special guest with us from Sweden uh, called Nariel. And Nariel and I met because Nariel has just completed one of our online courses and we got to know each other a little. And I thought, wow, Nariel will be just the perfect guest for this podcast because she is a representative of a minority language in Sweden called Elfdalian. Hello, Nariel. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, Nariel, um, we discovered, all of us on the course, that this language is pretty much um, very close to the languages that Tolkien loved and used as the basis for his own language creation. But before we talk about him, um, would you like to tell us a little bit about the culture that you come from and the history of Elfdalian? Yes, uh, it's a language spoken in Sweden. It's an archaic language. It comes from Proto-Norse and it developed from there sort of on its own course. So you can say it's an Old Norse dialect or a Norse language or it's hard to specify. And I think you were telling me that you still use runes. Yes, uh, mostly used for... Uh, writing your name into things. Um, there's a tr- tradition of writing uh, on your house. If you build a new house, you're writing runes what year it's uh, built and who lives there and just small things like that. But I, I also use it in everyday life because it's faster to write, to be honest, shopping lists and so on. <laughs> and I know, know other people that do too. I'm just wondering if there's a, a keyboard for your runes if not there should be one <laughs> there is there oh, is fantastic uh, the Australian council uh, provides one if you can speak it but i don't think it's available for <clears throat> cell phones so only computers unfortunately but still i'm glad to hear that that exists so how many people are there who speak Elfdalian? is it a language that's under threat or are there new generations coming along severe threat i would say in 2008, it was about 2,000 people, and I've heard now that it's only 60 people under the age of 15 that can speak it, so not good. Is there anything um, being done to help the younger generation learn it? The problem is that Sweden doesn't recognize it as a language. They sort of ignore it, while the European Union is telling them to get on the case. (laughs) So that's unfortunate. I hope it will change and then we can get some protection and some help with the studies of the language. And what about resources like books written in Alphadalian? Is that available? There are books, but uh, they're mostly printed by private people and that can be expensive and it's not widely available. I know a few children's books and I know a few dictionaries and so on, but it's not it's not widely publicized, which is unfortunate because that would help as well. Indeed. I mean I in my own family, uh, my great grandmother was one was one of the last living um speakers of the minority language of Manx from the Isle of Man. Mm. And uh, it pretty much died out within 
her generation and they're trying to revive it now. So in a similar situation to your language, it takes a huge effort, particularly when it no longer becomes, you know, a part of everyday life. Whereas over in Wales, of course, they've done a fantastic job preserving Welsh as a language. And every time you go there, it's on all the signs and uh, it's taught in school. So it does take an effort, but it is possible uh, against a sort of predominance of, say, Swedish or, um, in our case, English over here. So, Nariel, you're an absolutely fascinating person <laughs> in your own right. You're very creative. I've been um, reading your writing, so I know how creative you are. But I'm also aware that you speak many other languages. So you're, you're talking from a position of great authority on the structure of the, your own language. Can you tell us the other languages that you are familiar with? Yes. Obviously, English and Swedish, <laughs> we get those two. Bar- barely English. <laughs> Passable, I say. Um, the language that I speak day to day with my family is another minority language. Ah, it's called Northeast Danish, and it's only spoken in the smallest of smallest villages by around five hundred people. So, it's under more threat than Elftalia. Um, it's called Northeast Danish because it developed from Old Norse um, under Danish rule, so that's why it's called it. But it it's not understandable by Swedes, Danes, or Norwegians. So it's sort of its own language too. But And then I know Gutnish, spoken on the island of Gotland. Not by so many people anymore. They mostly speak Gutnish dialect, but the old text and so on is in Gutnish. And then, of course, standard old Norse, you can say there's the East variant and the West variant. So the West variant was spoken on the west coast of Norway, Iceland and Faroes Island. And the East was spoken in Sweden and Denmark and a little bit in Norway too. So when you think of the Vikings that came to England, that they spoke East Norse. And you were saying on the course the other day that our understanding of who the Vikings are um, is incorrect because in, the word Viking is is too widely applied. It actually isn't quite the right description. Do you want to tell us what we should be saying about the people who came over to parts of the UK? They're not Viking, is that correct? No, they they were Vikings. They're but, Vikings. Uh, uh, the people who went east, sort of in modern day Russia, and to Iceland and the Americas weren't really Vikings. And who were they, these ones? Oh, they came mostly from Western and Norway, Northern Norway. And Viking was actually a place. It was an ocean or a river, as it was believed then. And it's called Skagerrak and Kattegat today. And that was Viking. And the people who lived around it was called Vikinger. So that's where it comes from. Thank you. So I think listening to you, it goes to show just how easy it is to lump things together in one set. You know, you think everybody's a Viking, everybody spoke Old Norse. And what you're saying is how many lots of little language groups there were in the Scandinavia at this time. And I'm thinking now of Tolkien and his interest in languages. He obviously would have known some of these nuances he might not have known Elfdalian itself, but his own 
uh, invention of different forms of elvish and what have you does seem very similar, not as developed perhaps as um, your own idea of um, the languages in different valleys, uh, in different islands. So have you looked into Tolkien's languages and seen any correlation between what he made up and your own, the languages that you speak? I think he knew of Tolkien, to be honest, because I can see similarities in writings that he has in his language. Oh, that's really exciting. So what what particular? Let's take the uh, word varg or warg um, that people know both from the books and the movies. Indeed. And Tom Shippey, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. That's right. He's, yes. a, he's a Tolkien scholar. And he claims that it's a mix of Old Norse varger and Old English were. But Elftalian is the only language that spells it like Tolkien spells it. So I'm a bit suspicious, actually, if <laughs> he knew it. Both the spelling and um, how I think he would have pronounced it. So for those of you who aren't as specialist on Tolkien, the wargs are the super wolves, the, the wolves that the um, orcs ride. And uh, Nariel is saying that the word for wolf in Elfdalian is warg, spelt exactly the same way as it appears in The Lord of the Rings. Yes. Any, anything else? Any more coincidences you can bring to our attention? Or not coincidences? Any more pattern? <laughs> well, um, more proof that he knew Elftalian is the belief in the wolf who uh, chases the sun or the elves. Uh, that's a pretty common sort of belief in Scandinavia. Uh, so I'm a bit suspicious there as well because they could speak both in Tolkien and in our sort of belief. So I think uh, there's... Uh, some proof that he knew. And do you find that the stories and myths of your own sort of cultural tradition are echoed in the stories that Tolkien made up for um, the Silmarillion for his own Middle Earth? Because obviously we know he's drawing on the myths and legends of Nordic countries, but it sounds as though some of your own particular stories may have reached him as well. Yeah, I think people underestimate how much he got inspired by Norse culture and beliefs. I mean, the dwarfs come from Scandinavia, the elves, and then you have Middle-earth, the name itself, Midgård. And you have Odin's ring. Uh, he has the one ring that creates nine new rings every night, every ninth night. So there's a lot that... Um, and then you have Gandalf itself, comes from an area in Scandinavia. He was a real person, or two persons, I should say. He was a king in present-day Western Sweden. And the, he had a descendant called Gandalf the Younger as well, uh, that was slain by the Norwegians. Uh, but he was a real person, and Tolkien surely knew about him. And then you have the runes that the dwarf use. I recognize them. Uh, I think it's called Sirth. It was created by an elf. 
And yeah, I see a lot of similarities in those and Elftalian runes as well. So you're saying that the Tolkien, just to unpack that a bit, the Tolkien runes that the dwarves use were created in his myth by an elf. Yeah. And you say that you could actually understand and recognize the patterns of those runes. Yes, I can. Is that a phonetic correlation or is that something to do with, I'm I'm not sure how runes work. Are they a phonetic alphabet or are they a pictogram alphabet? A pictogram, I would say. So they represent? They represent sounds. Oh, that's that's phonetic then. Oh, okay. A pictogram is like um, Chinese where it's, you know, the word for dragon looks a bit like a, a dragon and the word for man looks like a, a man. You know, there's an element of oh, figurative but it, it's, underneath it's both. It. It's both. Oh, that's exciting. So tell me how <laughs> it's both. So um, if you look at the rooms, both in the Scandinavian rooms and the Aftalian rooms, they tell a story. You have Ur is the... You say it's the first rune. When you write, you begin with F, but when you tell a story, you begin with U. That's the second rune. And Ur means the first, the ancient, the the beginning, so to speak. And it's represented like an upside-down U. And that comes from uh, an Aurox, which was an important... Uh, animal in Europe back in the day, maybe you you've heard of it, big yes. big ox, and then it just goes on and on like that. And uh, you have T comes next, um, that represents the Jotuns. English translated as giants sometimes, but that's not entirely correct. They're more like these ancient beings that were here before man. Some have speculated that it could be memories from interactions with Neanderthals, but I'm going to leave that sort of (laughs) here nor there, but it's possible. And you can see these shapes represented in the rune, sort of in how they represent the words and the meanings of of what they're trying to say. So... In terms of your uh, language of Elfdalian, how does it cope with bringing into it new words from a technological age? Is there a way of adapting it with ideas from existing um, words, or is it a question of kind of putting it into the grammar? How you know, if you were going to say, "I've lost my cell phone," for example, how would you cope with words like that? The cell phone within Elfdalian. I'm wondering if you can think of something poetic that is the new object or if you put in the the technological word within the setting of Elfdalian. Mm, mostly it's uh, it's going to be similar to the the Swedish word but with like an Elfdalian dialect but there are some sort of humorous words that that are added to Things like cell phone, sort of, uh, it's hard to translate to English, but uh, uh, sloppy horn, maybe. <laughs> so, it like translates. a slang name for it. Yeah, yeah, a slang name. So that's developed with new words. I think of all the people I've met in my life, um, Nariel, you would be the one that um, Tolkien would actually want to sit down with and talk <laughs> at great length with his notebook out. 
Is there anything else about reading him that you've found helpful in understanding your own culture? Has it has the influence worked the other way around, the way you see yourself and your own language? Mm, yeah, because uh, he's, his languages sort of developed from one another within his in his world and it's quite interesting because when the Middle Ages started in Scandinavia and they switched to Latin letters, Eftalian instead expanded the runic alphabet to fill in the gaps and I sort of see as an interesting parallel to the way Tolkien uh, wrote his languages. Yes, definitely. And I think that makes it understandable to a worldwide audience as well, because he's doing it in a sort of a pure experiment for fantasy worlds. We, and he can create the, the atmosphere of a complete history to explain it, whereas our understanding, like you were saying, is sometimes more fragmented. Sometimes the roots of things are forgotten, whereas in his made-up version of it, we can see the what comes from what and how the language evolves in a quite... I mean, it's probably simpler than it is in real life with people moving around the world and intermarrying and cultures coming across each other. Mm. But Eftalian was, uh, or the place it comes from, was so isolated that people didn't even know we still used runes until fairly the modern age, uh, I think 1800s, 1700s around there. I forgot to ask. Um, so if you're looking on the map, where where do you look to find the valley where this language is? It's um, in the middle of Sweden on the border to Norway. Do you think most people know where Lillehammer is? I'm they can certainly find it on Google Maps, can't they? <laughs> yeah. So if you draw a line straight into Sweden from Lillehammer, then... That's where it is. And is it uh, a, lang- uh, a landscape of hills and lakes, or is it um, what caused the environment around there? It's uh, very rural. Uh, lakes, forests, old uh, wooden buildings. It's very intact. That whole area is very uh, intact, Swedish, I would say. But it also has influences from Norway because it's so close. Mm. I mean, in some senses, in a very isolated community like that, that international borders are a little bit of a, you know, academic exercise, aren't they, <laughs> when people are uh, on the hills. So, Nariel, I, I've got to know you a little bit and understand your deep passion for protecting these languages. Mm. What what can people do best to support minority languages? Have you got any tips or any or anything you want to actually tell us about what we can do to help Elfdalian as a language? Well, I think it's a huge problem that Sweden ignores that it is a language. So what the private person can do is a bit difficult to say, but just being aware that it exists, because most people, even in Scandinavia, don't know about it. So I think it's important to just say it exists before it doesn't exist. And I was thinking about maybe writing books in the future and having some words here and there. Nothing too intrusive, because I don't believe in forcing people to learn something, but just something that could make people interested in the language. So there are small things like that that you can do, I think. And just the fact that it uses runes, I think, would (laughs) would be a selling point to some people. Yeah, I think definitely if you wrote about that, a lot of people would be very interested to see 
you know, laid out all the different connections that you've mentioned to Tolkien. He's obviously so famous worldwide. That'd be a really good way of making it more popularly known. And you can you can get in conversation with Tom Shippey <laughs> and, and say, "Hey, Tom, I got I got news yeah. for you. There's this language out here which is almost like uh, one Tolkien would have wanted to speak." When he wrote about the origins of Varger, uh, I don't think he was aware of Elftalia. Yeah, well now. So we... I'm not. I'm not trashing him or no, anything. No, no, no. <laughs> no. There's so much in the world to know. He can't know everything. Yeah, maybe I should say something in Elftalian so people can hear what it sounds. That like. would be lovely. Okay, men lit huertas ad sig er annens lave. That's a quote from Lord of the Rings. Ah. Is it one it, ring to rule us all? No, it's uh, but the hearts of men are easily corrupted. Ah, I, I had to pick something that an elf would say. <laughs> oh, of course. Would you say it again so we can um, hear it again? Men lit vertas ad sig er annens lav. So, Nariel, um, clearly being fluent in all these different languages gives you sort of expertise that many others don't have in Nordic culture and one of the things you've been putting us right about on the course is some of the um, <laughs> the stories that have been passed around by historians and some artifacts that they've trusted thinking they understand their context but because they're unaware of the languages they've been getting it a bit wrong so there were two of these you mentioned the first of all is something called the Kensington stone is that correct yes it's uh people call it the most famous rune stone in the world um i think mostly by americans <laughs> where it was discovered uh in 1890 and it's in a museum i believe still and it's being treated as if it's a real rune stone but it's a fake. And you can see it on the runes because they are, first of all, they are medieval runes and they were made by Swedish immigrant Olaf Erman and a priest called Sven Fogelblad as a prank, I think, as a joke. And if you don't know where these runes come from, uh, you can be fooled into thinking it's a, a rune stone. And that's a problem. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think it makes me appreciate Tolkien all the more because he doesn't pretend it's real. <laughs> he's, he's, he's making things up and says, hey, I'm making stuff up and isn't this fun? Whereas in that case, it looks like somebody's fallen for a... Yeah, you know, fake. Yeah, and the other the other one is is perhaps a slightly more complicated story of how a symbol which came from a different cultural context got associated with the Vikings. So, would you like to say a little bit about that? It's called Bagvisir in English. Um, in Old Norse, it's called Egir Yelmur or Egir's helmet, and it's a popular symbol for people who are interested in. Norse culture and Vikings and all that. And it's been made extra popular with the American TV series such as Vikings. And the problem with that is that it's not a old symbol in the context old. It's um, a medieval symbol and it doesn't even come from Northern Europe. It comes from Southern Europe. It's a Christian symbol that came with the missionaries to Iceland. 
who liked it and started using it. But you can find the original in the book, The Seals of Solomon. And that just goes to show that you really have to know the language and the culture inside out to understand where things come from. And Because most people think it's a Norse symbol. They don't know any better. And it gets spread and spread and spread. And if you spread something too much, then it becomes the truth in the end. And then we don't have real history anymore. I suppose we see that happen so much with rumours and lies that are spread by social media in like super quick time. And yeah. that symbol is like a very slow mo- slow motion version of the same thing, isn't it? So, yeah. Nariel, we always um, finish our podcast with a where in the world, in all the fantasy world, is it best to be something? Uh, and this week, in honour of you and your language ability, I thought I'd ask you where in the world you think it is best to be a speaker of many different languages. Is there a place where such a person could have lots of fun? Have you got a fantasy world where you'd like to pitch up and um, speak lots of languages? The first world that came to mind, honestly, is a sci-fi fantasy. And I thought of Star Wars just because of all the planets and everything. But that's a little bit more sci-fi. Well, I guess it's a space opera, they call it. Oh, no, that's fine. I was thinking I'd like to be C-3PO as well, because he always says how many you know languages he speaks, doesn't he? That's yeah. his job. The more languages you can speak there, the, well, the more powerful you're going to be. Unless you have a robot that can translate everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And he also does the etiquette as well. So, you know, he will put you right if you're doing something culturally inappropriate, which is helpful. Yeah, but he's also a bit annoying, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) True. uh, So I agree with you. I was thinking Star Wars too. Um, And obviously we would both like to... um, go to middle earth as well that's that's fairly clear i was thinking the worst place to go the alternative is um douglas adams hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy because he just gets rid of languages by giving everyone a babel fish to put in their ear which kind of irons out all the differences so definitely don't want to go there (laughs) i was thinking orwell's 1984 that got rid of all languages except newspeak so people can't express themselves and criticize anymore but that's not the pure fantasy, but that's what, what came to mind. No, I think that any of these are dystopian, so that, that works as a fantasy world as well. So, Nariel, thank you so much for talking to us. I'm sure a lot of people, once they've listened to this, will be looking up Elf Dalian um, <laughs> on, on Wikipedia, if nowhere else. Are there yeah. any other resources or places that you would suggest people go if they are interested in it? Or is Wiki quite a good place to start? No, it's it's a really bad place to start. <laughs> Most okay. things on there are, are wrong, unfortunately. If you're interested in the language, I would suggest contacting the Elfdalian Council because uh, then we'll know what they're talking about. And they also have some material on their website that you can buy, dictionaries and so on. Okay, well, we'll put a link to that in our show notes so people can look that up. And I just love... I'm just appreciating the Elf Dalian Council, which sounds as though Elrond <laughs> should be in charge, definitely, though I'm sure it's not. Um, so, Nariel, thank you so much um, for talking to us, and thank you to everyone for listening. That's all for this week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Mythmakers Podcast. 
brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide.